0: My name is Ben Greenfield, and on this episode of the Ben Greenfield Life Podcast. The
1: the idea of you having an authoritarian presence in your kids' lives doesn't stop their hormones and their bioengineering to enter ro- the romantic world. All it means is you lose access now, and there's no point that you're going to get to where all of a sudden, well, now that you've graduated high school, your opinion matters. Now that you've crossed the arbitrary threshold of a, I'm going to listen to your opinion. Like you're starting Now.
0: faith, family, fitness, health, performance, nutrition, longevity, ancestral living, biohacking, and a whole lot more. Welcome to the show. So this is pretty cool. If you're a biohacker, brain enthusiast, who's looking for the newest cutting edge thing to push your brain to the total outer limits of what's possible. You got to check out this stuff called Nootopia, N-O-O-T-O-P-I-A. These nootropic stacks are pretty much taking the industry by storm right now because they're safe, they're legal, they're highly effective, and they're like curated very well formulated blends of some of the best brain chemistry boosting compounds and nootropics that are in existence. They were formulated. Every single stack in the Nootopia box that you get was formulated by a man who's considered to be the most advanced brain chemist and Nootropics formulator alive today. He's actually going to come on the podcast soon. But, uh, you know, Elon Musk's Neuralink might be a long way off, but Nootopia stacks are perhaps the next best thing. So within 15 to 30 minutes, you feel them. They help you focus, block out distractions, reduce stress, enhance creativity, boost your memory a whole lot more. Best part is they come with a full one-year guarantee, so there's zero risk for you to try them for yourself. So if you feel like maybe you're not fully maximizing your cognitive potential or physical potential, both personally and professionally, then you owe it to yourself to try Nutopia's formulas. They're a total game-changer. And here's how you can get them at a 10% discount. Go to Newtopia.com Ben, N-O-O-T-O-P-I-A.com slash Ben. Enter code Ben10 for a 10% discount. All right, so ButcherBox, my friends at ButcherBox, they're offering new members a free grilling bundle in your first order, what is a grilling bundle, you ask? Well, this is a deal you won't want to miss. You're going to get two 10-ounce ribeyes, five pounds of chicken drumsticks, and a pack of burgers for free. And you get all of that when you go to butcherbox.com slash ben. So butcherbox partners up with farmers. They find things like 100% grass-fed beef, free range organic chicken, wild-caught seafood, pastured pork, and a whole lot more. They ship it straight to your front door a fraction of the cost— because it cut out the middleman, uh, it's free shipping in the continental U.S. You don't have to worry about shipping all that meat. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just pure goodness. And this new deal gets you two 10 ounce ribeyes, five pounds of chicken drumsticks. That's a party, and a pack of burgers for free. Go to butcherbox.com/ben claim that new grilling bundle deal. All right, you looking for a job, huh? You want to kind of get out of flipping burgers, or repairing fax machines? Or selling used cars, whatever it is you do right now, well, come join Ben Greenfield Life. Team Ben Greenfield Life. We're currently hiring. Check out the careers page that I've created for more information. Go to bengreenfieldlife.com slash careers. Ben Greenfield Life is setting ourselves, itself. I don't even know how to say it, but we're basically creating the most creative and inspirational network on the planet to make people's lives better. We passionately empower people to live a bold, purpose-filled, and adventurous life filled with health, hope, happiness, and love. And it is a hell of a lot of fun to be on our team. So as a part of that mission, our team is, of course, growing and we're hiring. Check out all the open positions at bengreenfieldlife.com slash careers. That's bengreenfieldlife.com slash careers. Good luck spelling careers. Just Google that. bengreenfieldlife.com slash careers. All right, folks, some time ago, not too long ago, actually, I released an interview with the author of a very interesting book, very thought-provoking book. The book was titled The Art of Insubordination, How to Dissent and Defy Effectively. And it was written by a guy named Todd Cashton. And I actually wound up interviewing Todd, uh, and uh, it it, it was a, a fantastic interview about how to just you know, gracefully uh, be uh, an insubordinate in an era in which many people are are sheeple and and swim downstream. Uh, The book really teaches you how to how to swim upstream, how to defy the status quo, how to stand up for your rights and stand up for what you believe in. And it's a a great book for anyone who wants to create a world more justice and creativity and courage. And so that interview with Todd was fantastic. But there's one chapter in the book And Todd and I didn't spend too much time on this chapter, but it was about how to raise just just super resilient and impactful children, how to make them or allow them or teach them to think for themselves in a very independent fashion. So I I dug that section of Todd's book so much and uh, also just our, our conversation so much. I wanted to have him back on the show. Because as you might know by now, I'm working on a book myself called Boundless Parenting, in which I interview 30-plus uh, uh, amazing parents from around the globe who share deep wisdom and practical advice on how you can raise better humans. And I wanted to showcase Todd in that book just because of his unique approach and his thinking style and what it is that he's up to. So, so Todd's back, and I'm going to put the show notes for everything, including my previous episode with Todd over at Ben GreenfieldLife dot com slash impactful kids. That's Ben GreenfieldLife dot com slash impactful kids. Uh, Todd, welcome back to the show, man.
1: I am so psyched to be part of this crazily coolly named book. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I think it's gonna be pretty epic and and you know it just it allows me to to just dig in and see these almost like repeated themes amongst parents, see differences amongst parents and as I tell people, you know, my kids aren't yet fully grown. There's no proven model that they aren't Going to wind up in prison, but at the same time, I do know a lot of other parents who are doing a pretty good job who are even farther ahead than I am in the game, so I figure at the end of the day the 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 book's going to be super duper helpful at least in in my own editing so far of the eight hundred plus pages that are in it thus far, I wish it had existed when I'd first become a parent.
1: I cannot tell you how many times I say, "Where was the parenting manifesto?" When they just let you out of the mm-hmm. hospital with two twins <laughs> and say, "Hey, listen, you 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 have a high school education, so good luck. You got this." And that's all we got to say to you.
0: Yep, exactly. No, they, they they don't teach you too much about how to raise a human, even though it seems like it should be a pretty important part of the uh, the curricular upbringing of a young human, learning learning how to foster the introduction of, of new members of our species into the world. But alas. We're working on it, though, man. That, that, that's part of this discussion. So tell, tell me about your kids.
1: So I have three daughters. I'm part of that rare breed of man who, if you believe in karma, um, if you are not an acceptable dater during your young years, you get all women <laughs> um, later in life to kind of uh, to make amends. Um, I've got 15-year-old twin daughters in high school, freshman year, and their nine-year-old younger daughter who's in fourth grade. Okay. Got it. Yeah. I had forgotten your, your daughters
0: were 15. They're actually pretty close to the age of my sons. Uh, you know, my sons are are twins and they're 14 years old. So, uh, maybe we'll get together and bring the families to, to uh, to Disney sometime or SeaWorld or wherever people go on vacation these days. Legoland, I suppose.
1: If I know, we could get all like Legoland, if we could get two 15 year olds and two 14 year olds to join us, that is a sign that we've done well as parenting. <laughs>
0: we win win and the interview right here so so in terms of your your parenting approach you know this this first question that i have for you is is just kind of a chance for you to maybe humble brag a little bit and let people know about what it is that your kids are up to so can you tell me a little bit more about kind of what what they do what their interests are and and how it is that you as a parent and i realize that that uh you know it might seem like a little bit of a humble brag as you go through this you as a parent what, what is it that you're proud for them about right now
1: um, great, great question. So, Chloe and Raven, my 15 year old twins, um, they have just entered the world of dating in their own, uh, incomprehensible way. There's about seven different steps now between being friends and dating someone, which I'm not going to go through because TikTok can offer mm-hmm. that to somebody. And one of them, Raven, is on the high school soccer team she made, she made the high school varsity. Um, volleyball team. She's on a travel soccer team. So she right now is a hardcore athlete. And the probably what I'm more proud of than that is because like you, I am really a big fan of mind, body, take care of them for the rest of your life is she has really gravitated towards the two years during the pandemic of me working out in the garage and with elastic bands and dumbbells and kettlebells. And she wanted to learn everything. So I bought her gloves and we lived in that garage. And it was um, she, she, she wants to have an athletic Venus, Serena Williams kind of body, not a waif, um, not to be, uh, you know, skinny. Like she, like, she really embraces this new model of women of, of physically right. muscular fit, agile, like, like functional just, oh, fitness type of stuff. Exactly. Exactly. So that's Raven. Yeah. Um, and she's really, you know, I can think of back in when she was in around four or five years old and um, we'd go on car trips and I would just you know, I'm a psychologist, I'd experiment on my kids all the time, and I would do word association games of how creative is her thinking. And I would say meatball, and then she would say unicycle, or I would, I would you know, I would say, uh, you know, uh, light bulb, and then she would say, um, you, know, ve- you know, vegetarian hamburger. And it was so quick, the reaction time, that I remember turning to her mom and be like, oh, my God, like, like, to figure out the associations in her brain, like how did one lead to the other one? I mean you're supposed to say spaghetti when you have meatball um you're supposed to you're supposed to say dark when you hear light so she's the she's a very creative um, quick extroverted thinking in terms she's very extemporaneous. she processes information quick. it also has a dark side, right you you're you're blurting out things, you're impulsive, but you also come up with answers quickly in social settings, which is really fun to. Fun to interact with. Chloe is my more deliberative thinker. Um, she's the analytical machine of my daughters. Um she reminds me, so my father was one of the first computer engineers for Apple back back in the Newton oh, days, really? long be- long before it was popular and you had billboards and Steve Jobs existed. Um did, on, did, did he, by the way, figure. did
0: did did he transfer his his employee ownership stock onto you? So you're independent uh, and filthy rich now?
1: I should be, except he walked out of my family when I was uh, two. So it's mostly stories that I hear about him as opposed to actually have, he's a part of my life, which is, which is an interesting conversation for us of being a father when you didn't have a father figure when you were young is very interesting. Um, But but Chloe is, uh, she's a very rational thinker. She's, she comes up with really good arguments. You know, if I offer discipline towards her. She'll say like, listen, dad, here's why it doesn't make sense. Here's why you're hypocritical. Um, Here's why it's not going to work. And she's usually right. And she thinks quickly about that. And, and I mean, with Chloe, my 15 year old there, I probably make more mea culpas the next day, which we'll get into than any of my other kids, because she is right more often than not. And she's has the going to be a prosecuting attorney, a private investigator or chase down you know as a serial chase down serial killers as a profiler for the fbi so that's her she used to be really into sports and i think she got burnt out which i'm sure a lot of parents can relate to by being really good really early people other people including myself overly defining her as an incredibly exceptional athlete her her hand-eye coordination is something i could have only dreamed of um think of barry sanders think of michael jordan um, think of Peter Sampras athletes when they jump in the air, they know where they are, even if they're doing a 360 on a soccer field. That's Chloe.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. By the way, that's the first time I've ever heard someone called P- Sampras, Peter Sampras.
1: Oh, yeah. Is that actually? Am I wrong or right?
0: I I, I don't know. I I thought maybe you knew more than <laughs> I did, but anyways, that that's a rabbit hole. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um. So lots. Yeah, lots of things to play with in there. And then Violet, my youngest, um, who's nine. She is the imaginative one, and in some ways, I'm, I'm parenting her a little bit differently because she's kind of the last licks on this thing. And she's got a, she's still into stuffed animals, even though she's in fourth grade. But she has an entire world. Her entire closet has no clothes. It's just she will create these mausoleums and hotels and large landscapes where the animals have personalities, stuffed animals, and kind of she'll she'll spend more money buying them like food supplies furniture food trucks then she will spend on herself and honestly it's something we'll we'll dive into is i'm such a big fan of training her to be as, as big of a divergent thinker as possible and school provides nothing but convergent thinking that i'm not going to do a premature closure on any of this imaginary play even though most of her friends have kind of moved on into more parallel play sports and kind of outdoor activities like she she Mm -hmm. likes to design videos um, and she's very perceptive at picking up other people's emotional states she almost has the instincts of someone that was physically and emotionally abused where they can recognize just by the pace of someone walking through the household whether this is going to be a good day or a bad day with their parent but she does this with everyone so she has this interpersonal intelligence that's off the charts. Wow,
0: wow. Now, are are you married, Todd?
1: Um, separated.
0: Okay, all right. So, so you're raising these girls as, as a as a, a solo father, author. Do you actually work uh, from home?
1: In, well, from the pandemic, that's an onward. I've sort of changed my lifestyle where I'm going to be spending much more time with them until they go away to college. So, yes.
0: Okay, got it. Got it. And so, you know, one thing that you already brought up that I think would be a, a perfect place to dive into when it comes to the unique ways in which you are raising your girls based on what you've learned, you know, from things like writing the, this insubordination book and your unique approach. You talked about training them in the skill of divergent thinking. What do you mean by that? And have you pulled that off?
1: Yeah, the second one is a tough question, which is why I'm glad you have a diverse series of parents that are going to talk in your book. Um, the first one is, such convergent thinking is, imagine is, you have a problem or situation with a clearly defined set of possibilities or answers. So if someone asks you, you know, what's the quadratic formula, there's a very clear answer. If someone says, if someone says to you, um, listen, can I have breakfast with, um, I want, I need at least 30 grams of protein because I just read it in the New York Times yesterday. As someone who's 48 years old, it's important. Well, there's, there's an answer. Um, There's, that's convergent thinking the diversion thinking part is how do you get that protein. The diversion thinking part is is the quadratic quadratic formula the best way to express the relate the mathematical relationship with whatever it is you're thinking about. You're thinking about playing billiards. You're thinking about um, trying to create a party and thinking about where should people go and where should the furniture go. Once you once you have a more open ended range of possibilities of exploring terrain. Problems and decisions, you're moving into the creative world of divergent thinking. And there's also mm-hmm. an element of this where, as soon as you move away from conventional and orthodox approaches, you're moving into the world of divergent thinking. And a good example of that—not that we want to get too much into stuck into kind of cultural issues that people are fighting around incessantly—is when someone when someone offers an idea of, of hey, you know. Um, America started with the Mayflower, America started with um, the slave trade, America started with the Constitution. Those are all taught often in in classes and by adult figures as if they are convergent questions. There's very clear answers. And just by me mentioning those three possibilities, it's actually could involve great divergent thinking of thinking of, well, okay, when we think about what America is, what are we talking about? Are we talking about a thing? Are we talking about something? Um, that's inscribed in text? Are we talking about culture? Mm -hmm. Um, Is is, is culture fixed? And as soon as you start exploring questions about the initial question, you're entering the realm of divergent thinking. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Now, now are there specific strategies that you use to teach that? Because, you know, the reason I ask that is it seems to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, that the, the modern educational system largely specializes in teaching convergent thinking. You know, cooperation, putting a square peg in a square hole and a round peg in a round hole, lining up in a row and kind of being a, a good little factory worker, painting with a broad brush. There's obviously some exceptions to the rule and and, and some some notable exceptions to the rule in terms of public schools or, or Montessori academies, et cetera, that kind of stand out. But, you know, it it seems to me that there must be some strategies to to train a child in divergent thinking, even if they're simultaneously, you know, as it sounds like your daughters are enrolled in a in a school that might specialize in a more convergent thinking type of education.
1: Yeah, it's it's very challenging when you're not doing homeschooling, which we don't. Um, so they are in public education. Um, there's there's so many things I do. So one thing I do is I walk my nine year old daughter. And I walked my 15-year-olds until high school, every single day of their lives, I walked them to school, except if I was traveling abroad. Um, so we're talking 95% of their days, I walked them to school. One thing that we did, so there's, just, there's a couple things that I do every single morning. Um, every morning, I get up before them, work out, and then I'll find something in the news just to kind of bring up to them. But without me mm. offering um, my lens of how to view that topic. So obviously, as we're talking today, we just had the tragedy in Texas of 19 elementary school kids being shot down um, by an 18-year-old. When I introduced that story to my daughters, obviously very different to the 15-year-olds than to the 9 year old I don't introduce my lens. I allow them space to actually offer their own thoughts and and op-eds about that experience, and then I'll build off of their experience. So when I I talked about it to my 15-year-olds, they told me that they heard about it before, from their friends and you know, on TikTok. And then I asked them, well, what's the information source? And then what did you hear that you think is true? And what did you hear that you think is you're not, you're not sure about? And it's that unsure piece that I play with almost every single day of their lives. Mm. The unsure, in terms of well, what, they, what, you know, what did you hear was the, the motivation behind the killing that happened there? Will we go in there? And they're like, I don't know. So this leads to the next question, which is there's no answer which is, what do you think the motivation is? So here you have an 18-year-old. We know nothing else about them. Like, what are your guesses? And so as they, you know, again, they're being raised by psychologists. So they brought up loneliness. They brought up bullying. um, You know, they brought up body dysmorphia, something that we talked about relatively recently. Um, They brought up maybe they're like, they don't have a good relationship with their parents. Maybe they didn't get into college. So they're talking about a whole number of different possibilities, and then it leads to the next question, which is how would those adversities, if they happen, lead them down the path of they would actually bring a gun to school? And this is where you have the divergent thinking and the critical thinking starts to pick up. So every single morning, I have no idea where the conversation's gonna go, and I don't really care. It's really about just having time with them where I'm not the authority figure, I'm not we're not trying to find answers, we're just exploring really cool interesting topics every day. That's one part. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, and by by the way, just just a real quick thing about the Current Events piece. I think that's important. You know, I, my my son subscribed to uh, a Current Events weekly called The Week. You know, fantastic little weekly digest of Current Events uh, specifically targeted towards adolescents. Now, that magazine arrives once a week and I actually read it when it arrives and then I give it to them. To read, and by me reading it and knowing what they're reading as well, it provides really good fodder for the dinner table for me to actually say, hey, what do you think about what's going on in Ukraine right now? You know, do you think that Putin made the right decision? What do you think the people of Ukraine should do? What do you think we should do to to, to help out? Do you think we should help out, or do you think we're, we're contributing to something that that you don't believe in or stand for? And and so I really agree that that having some sort of current events digest, even though I know there's a lot of people who say hey, you shouldn't look at the news the news is negative, just keep it out of your lives, I think it actually is our prerogative to stay up to date on what's going on in the world, even if that simply means we're staying up to date on it so we can figure out how we can help people or or contribute to society in some way. But having or being on the same page of the current events digest that your children are to be able to foster discussion, I think is actually really important.
1: Yeah, I love imagining, Ben, your dinner conversation with your kid because, there's there's a there's a lot of pieces that come in there. One is you're giving the kid agent, you're giving your son agency to actually or your sons to have agency in the conversation where they're contributing members. The other section of that is you're treating them as you are not you are not the curator of a three pound brain that's gonna turn into something that's valuable. It's valuable now. And there's no point that you're going to get to where all of a sudden, well, now that you've graduated high school, your opinion matters. Now that you've crossed the arbitrary threshold of 18, I'm going to listen to your opinion. Look, like you're starting now. And the thing that I like about that that you do with your son, which I espouse as well, is one of the, one of the, the modern phrases I despise the most, I don't know if you feel the same way is when people say, stay out of your lane. This just happened yesterday. It happens oh like gosh. every every three days with me. And my, yeah, no, my stick,
0: I, I get that too, by the way. It's always stick to fitness, bro.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my response is always the same. Like, where do you think creative ideas come from? It comes from, how are you going to find the flaws knowing that you have so many biases and you have so much psychological conflict of interest in that this is your area. You have a paycheck that's dedicated to it. What is your motivation to find the flaws and see the problems or see possible solutions? And like you want you want tons of people out of the lane. And here's where we get back to parenting. If you say you should stay in your lane, what you're saying is is that no kid's voice matters because they don't have a lane yet. They're still they're still roaming around the highways if there's no yellow lines or white lines. They're zigzagging and they're taking motor scooters and they're, you know. Taking, you know, they're taking their bicycles up and down hills, going through people's yards. Like they don't have a freaking lanes. So when you say that, you're saying students and kids don't matter. It's only pseudo quasi experts that have vegetable soup after their names, or people who have titles after titles and degrees. And that is an absurd approach to a culture that's trying to continue to evolve and continue to improve in terms of decision making and you know, getting rid of dysfunctional ideas and systems. uh, Thank you for letting me air it out as my therapist.
0: (laughs) No, no problem. That's what I'm here for, bro. All right. If you want to get the powerful benefits of higher dose. I'm about to tell you how. What's higher dose? This company, they make like saunas, PEMF units, red light face masks, everything you need for beauty. I've interviewed them before. Beauty and recovery, really. Because not only do they make this amazing infrared sauna blanket that you can get a deep sweat in, you wrap it up, it's like a teddy bear. Uh, You get sick, you can get in that thing and just sweat it out. You want to just like read a book and, and be bathed in infrared the whole time. You don't have room for a sauna. This thing works like gangbusters. They got a pulsed electromagnetic field mat that combines the benefits of infrared with PEMF for this unbelievable. Unbelievable recharging experience for your entire human body, which is a battery. They use 100% natural purple amethyst crystals and mesh fabric tubes across the entire mat. This really deepens the recovery of your session. They emit negative ions, very similar to what you'd find if you were grounding or earthing in nature. They even have a new red light face mask, which is a light therapy device that you can combine with things like a clay mask or all on its own. It mimics the low-level wavelengths found in natural sunlight. Thus, it boosts your mood, stimulates collagen, activates glowing skin, reduces fine lines, regenerates cells, and uh, it looks pretty freaking cool on your face, too. You look like somebody out of Star Wars. Anyways, you get your own infrared sauna blanket and PMF mat at higherdose.com today, along with that face mask. And you can use my promo code, Ben, which will save you 15% off. You go to higherdose.com slash Ben, and the code that you can use over there is Ben. Well, we hear that the average adult should get seven to nine hours of sleep every night, but that's not always possible. More and more people seem to be forced to make a whole bunch of changes to get more deep sleep. And while I'm super picky on my mattress, on my sleep environment, on what I do leading up to sleep, on the sleep supplements that I use, everything... One game changer for me was when I started sleeping on top of a little pad that generates cold water underneath me the whole time I'm asleep. And that is one of the factors that just absolutely maximizes deep sleep, drops your heart rate, your breathing, your blood pressure, your muscle activity, obviously your body temperature, which is a crucial aspect of deep sleep. So sleeping on a cooling pad activates the sleep switch on steroids. So chilly sleep makes it. It's a it's a customizable climate controlled sleep pad helps you improve your entire night of sleep hydro powered temperature controlled mattress topper that they also make to fit over your existing mattress to further amplify your ideal sleep temperature and it keeps you at the perfect temp for sleep whether you sleep hot whether you sleep cold I'm one of those meat sweats guys I I get frustrated actually when I travel now and I don't have my chili pad I got to take a cold shower before bed not when i'm at home because i have one of these chili sleep pads so they have a whole bunch of new sleep systems you can check out on peruse or on their website go to chili slash ben greenfield c-h-i-l-i sleep.com slash ben greenfield and uh, that's going to allow you to get 30 percent off the purchase of any new sleep system from my friends at chili enjoy all right, you probably know that the human body is mostly water, What you probably don't know is that everything else in your body is 50% amino acids. So amino acids are like the building blocks of life, essential for health, fitness, longevity, no matter how you like to move, whatever you do to stay fit, amino acids are essential. That's why Key Aminos is my go-to supplement for just about like everything. It's the Swiss army knife of supplementation. Uh, when you have a craving, you take it, the cravings go away. When you want to recover fast, you take it, you're less sore. When you sleep better, you take it and it keeps your appetite satiate at night. Like the use goes on and on. If you want to naturally boost energy, build lean muscle, enhance athletic recovery. I've had amazing athletes and coaches and trainers text me and be like, dude, what did you put in these aminos? Are they illegal? Do you have steroids in these? No, we do not. It's just pure, clean, essential amino acids. They're that good. The ratios are that dialed in. And you can now save 20% on monthly deliveries and 10% on one time purchases if you go to slash Ben Greenfield. That's slash Ben Greenfield. And they'll get you off to the races with the brand spanking new Keon Aminos. And I say brand spanking new because we got a new watermelon flavor and we got a new mango flavor that's going to absolutely blow your mind. Check them out. GetKion.com slash Ben Greenfield. That's GetKion.com slash Ben Greenfield. As far as the, the actual uh, development of the, the style of thinking that you're trying to foster in your daughter's, do you actually use any type of, of curriculum or books or systems or models or, or resources that you rely upon? Uh, do you just kind of piece things together on your own or, or do you have any, any type of approach as far as resources are concerned?
1: Um, so prob- so the, the answer really is no, except for this. Um, after being trained as a clinical psychologist, I've found one framework to be, most beneficial to me above all and to my clients, which was acceptance and commitment therapy, which in a nutshell comes down to being in the present moment, being accepting accepting and exploratory of experiences that are outside the self and in the self and engaging in behaviors that are aligned with your values. So it's got these three, it's a triangle, right? You've got, you've got presence, you have exploration, and then you have commitment. And that approach to psychological experiences and that approach to being very situationally aware of what behaviors will work best in a particular situation and not being rigid in your thinking or rigid in your behavior is something that I've adopted for my own life. And it's something that kind of I'm training my kids in as well. Um, you know, one example of this, um, you know, one of my kids, um, you know, I've seen that, what well, have seen a therapist before. And one of the difficulties that they had was just this mental chatter of self doubt and self deprecation, you know, that I'm not good enough. I'm not attractive enough, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm fat, you know, this, this is at a very young age. And what I did with the therapist was say, listen, um, I want them to work on this skill, which I can't do it because I don't want to add therapist, formal therapist on top of being a dad, a coach, you know, and, and a friend, and everything else is. Right. I want them to be able to I want them to be able to see that their thoughts are just this, just these words that your brain's constantly producing, and that you are not. Def- your identity is not attached to any of the statements that your brain says to you. Your brain's always talking to you, and just like a friend. That sometimes gives good advice and sometimes gives horrible advice. Your brain is the same way. Just because it's attached to you doesn't mean the advice is always good or that its statements are factual. And I want them to have this relationship with their brain that they could say, like, okay, listen, that's an interesting idea. It's an interesting hypothesis that you say that I'm fat. Uh, let me go test that. Let me go kind of uh, like an ask three people. I can see yeah. whether over the past week has anybody pointed out that I'm overweight. So no to both questions. Okay, so right now I'm, I have less confidence in that hypothesis that I'm fat. And that approach is fits with acceptance and commitment therapy. And it's a nice psychological toolbox to train my kids to be more tolerant of strain that arises as they're navigating their social world.
0: It reminds me just a little bit of, of something that might go hand in hand with mindfulness based meditation, you know observing your thoughts and feelings as you meditate without judging them or trying to change them, and simply stepping back and paying attention to almost like what your brain is doing almost as though you 're kind of observing yourself in the third person I, I think that that mindfulness based meditation or some form of meditation in which you 're just sitting and allowing yourself to observe your thoughts without judgment is pretty important, even, even for kids. Like I I actually do meditation every morning with my kids for about 10 minutes. And then we do a a repeat kind of self-examination of the day at the end of the day. And I I think it actually really, really helps uh, them to, to, to get to know themselves and to be able to understand their thought patterns.
1: All of these models steal from other models. So, I mean, yeah, this is, this is definitely Venn diagram overlap with mindfulness meditation. Um, My kids, I mean, we're New Yorkers, so my kids are like me hyperactive, hypomatic, um, meditation has never, never worked. Um, what works for them is what has worked for me. It's, I mean, you know, they have a good genetic linkage to me, which is when we do activities, we really absorb ourselves to the degree where we lose our sense of self and our ego in the activity. And that's the form of meditation that we use, whether it's mm. playing soccer, whether it's you know lifting weights, lifting weights in particular, whether it's, you know, whether it's cardiovascular activity, in there is our form of meditation. And I say this not just about what I do, is that I'm really strong proponent of, listen, everybody has to figure out, here's a methodology that works, as you're saying, mindfulness meditation. Do not think that the only way to do it is to kind of sit down or lay down on a cushion. Um, if it's within an activity, the more the more that the activity is routine and simplistic, the easier it is potentially of like maybe that's the way that it'll work for you. Some people, it's gardening. Some people, it's knitting.
0: Yeah. For my kids, it's, it's probably art. They do, they do a lot of a lot of painting that I would classify as that style of activity. One thing that you mentioned, by the way, that I think is important to note, you know, especially for parents or to be parents that are listening in is the idea that you you kind of outsourced some of that that cognitive awareness and, and the assistance to a third party. And I think that's important for a couple of reasons. So that, as you noted, you're not stepping into the role of therapist as parent. you know, especially when that's your profession, it's kind of like, you know, bringing your work home in a way. Uh, but then also I think that it's, it's important to rely upon others and accept that, you know, even if you don't have the mentality of it takes a village to raise a child outsourcing certain things can be important. You know, for example, my sons have done a rite of passage, and traditionally rites of passages are not overseen by the father. They're overseen by an uncle or a tribal leader or some other man who is overseeing it so that the child is actually able to, to cut the connection with with the father, to not be dependent on the parent as they're going through a difficult scenario, so that they're they're required to to think for themselves or at least not think that their parents are going to be there all the time to help them because that's simply, as we all know, not the case as you grow old. So, you know, they have a guy named uh, another guy who's going to be featured in the book, Tim Corcoran. Like he's their, he's their wilderness survival instructor. He, he oversaw the rite of passage and he even does a monthly mentorship call with them as they go through their, their nature awareness and self-awareness course that they go through right now. And sometimes I get a little jealous as a father, you know, listening to his long calls with my sons in which he's telling them stories (laughs) and hearing their thoughts and feelings and emotions. But then I think, no, no, this is good that they have someone other than their parents teaching them something that that goes beyond what what, what they might learn in a traditional schooling setting. You know, I'm not talking about the idea of outsourcing your entire education to a schooling system, which I think is a failure of a lot of parents, right? Like sending kids off to school and assuming all the work is done and you have nothing left to do when they come home aside from just hang out with them and have fun. There's a lot that you have to teach them, you know, the convergent versus the divergent thinking patterns that you were talking about earlier being a perfect example. But this idea of of having other people come on board to actually help to foster your child's progression towards, towards becoming a fully grown human being. I think that's important. I think some, some parents kind of struggle with that, with that idea of, of opening themselves up to having other, other people who are pretty close to playing the role of a parent be in their kids lives.
1: This might be one of 20 places that are the most important parts of your book. Um, I love that you mentioned how you sometimes feel a little bit jealous because I think by naming it as parents and caregivers we can kind of really kind of do this better so i do this a lot they have a bunch of the parent i mean it's different i was yeah you know, when you were an 80s kid you would sleep over someone's house for sometimes for like a week and then not come home i mean it was just it was just a different environment and i'm not saying it was better or worse it was different and I, to try to foster some of the good parts of the 80s um i've encouraged by talking to my kids also talking to The the parents of kids who they really like click with and then talk to them like, listen, like I really value that my kids appeared like very comfortable disclosing stuff to you, especially because I have a cross sex relationships. I'm the only male in the house with three daughters. And so Mm -hmm. some some of these moms that are out there, um, I communicate with them like, listen, I, I hope that they tell you stuff. Um, you don't have to tell me everything that they say. I wish that they would tell me all the things they tell you. I'm just glad you exist in their lives. And I show them a ton of gratitude. I should give them a ton of very explicit um, free range to work with my kids however they want to right? their styles of of incentives and punishments and interacting with them and With that, my kids regularly say it's like it's like it's like we have other moms and dads that exist in our lives. And it's so touching to me. And yet still, as you said, there's a level of jealousy of, oh, my God, I should be able to do it all. Like, why would I need other parents to play this role? But my kids need a little bit of a buffer or some some degree of of a force field between. The person that's basically responsible for their physical physical welfare, and then these all these experiences they're having in their lives, they, they need some separation there, and it's good for them also because they learn how to communicate with other adults, and that just prepares them for you know real world practical intelligence. Yeah,
0: yeah, that makes sense. Now, now, regarding your book, uh, The Art of Insubordination, you know, in writing that book and preparing to write that book, were there certain elements of knowledge that you learned that you you specifically made it a point to pass on to your daughters?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, there's this great like this. The fun part about writing a book is you get to unearth science that nobody's talking about. And there's a guy in Greece. I'm not going to even try to pronounce his name. um, Who uh, who basically like he would introduce. I'll bet
0: it it has a a variety of consonants, including most notably K in it, though, right?
1: There's a lot of O's and U's in there unnecessarily. (laughs) And he would he tested out this of maybe we can get people into science, kids into science, if we told the stories not just about that there are these amazing innovators, but the the psychological and social difficulties of being an innovator. I mean, one of the things about if you're Galileo or Tesla. Or, you know, is that you get socially persecuted because they're ba- you're basically being told, listen, this is not the way. You can't do it your way. You're, you're going to under house arrest. We're going to try to kill you if it's involves something with civil rights that happens there. So you have this researcher in Greece that few people know about who basically asked the question, how do we get people interested in science and innovation who show no, who show no passion for this? And he tested out of if you tell the stories of people like Galileo or Nikola Tesla, and you don't just talk about their inventions, you talk about the social difficulties they had, the adversaries. So Tesla and Edison had, you know, for decades, they would subvert, subvert their own work. They would try to steal, steal each other's patents. They would try to burn down each other's laboratories. Um, so that's part of the storyline and then there's Tesla's loneliness and his difficulty like of having you know friendships and romantic relationships because he was so obsessed with his work so this this lack of balance in his life and if you tell the stories with the emotions and you know the psychology in there are people are interested and he found not only is this the case but people are more interested in being a scientist is they realize like oh it's this is exciting and challenging, and this is this is like climb this is like climbing you know Mount Kilimanjaro, and this is like uh, you know fighting for you know for the civil rights of you know you know people who are being marginalized. Like this is like this is an adventure, and it's not just learning formulas, learning math, and learning engineering, and that approach is something that I've adopted, having learned that into the kids' lives. So, for example, for Martin Luther King Jr. Um, when they had, when, you know, had, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. Day in school, I would talk about the things that they wouldn't talk about in school. So one of the interesting things about Martin Luther King Jr. is that he had some tough, he had a tough marriage, and he had some very interesting friendships that kind of um, frayed at the seams because you had some people that wanted to have a more violent approach um, for the civil rights of blacks in America, and so he wanted a nonviolent approach. And having conversations about how he navigated that humanizes him, that here's a floored guy who had a lot of infidelities, who had a lot of difficulties with friendships, um, who made some questionable decisions, and yet he changed the world. And when you do it that way, when you tell the story with the warts and all, then all of a sudden a kid doesn't just look up to Martin Luther King Jr. They say, oh, someone like me who's all messed up with a weird, jagged profile of strengths and weaknesses can be a Martin Luther King Jr. And that's what you really want for kids is you don't want them to idolize people. You want them to see templates of what's possible.
0: Now, now you know, you have, you said your your twins are 15. How old is the other daughter? Nine. Nine. Okay. So having gone through that many years of child rearing already, is there are there things that you did with the nine-year-old that are different than what you did with your 15-year-old? As far as something you learned raising them that you did or didn't do with your nine-year-old?
1: The category would definitely be um, physical and emotional affection. I mean, when kids are young and you can carry them, I mean, I was like someone from, you know, a third world country. I mean, I had them on my back and they'd be in a Bjorn, they'd be physically next to me. But when they get older, for my older ones, I kind of let them loose and stopped hugging them as as much or tucking them in every single night. And my nine-year-old, every single day, um, I will make an effort to come home from a concert early, um, and miss and miss you know the you know miss uh, what's it called when they have the uh, the epilogue to a concert. The uh, oh, God! The, the, the
0: encore. The encore. Thank you.
1: Oh yeah. my God! How embarrassing as a music lover. Okay, so I will miss an encore from an amazing band like Pearl Jam when they normally play cover songs of uh, Jimi Hendrix to make sure I tuck in my kid. Like it's so, it's so essential to my life that that they go to bed knowing that they are physically loved and emotionally loved by them. And I don't think I did that as well. I think, I think Mm -hmm. my masculinity and my, my being raised by a single mom who couldn't do everything as well as she optimally could, but she did amazing. Um, Not having that physical affection as much. um, I want to, I got got caught up in, how I was raised, as opposed to I can invent any way I want to raise my kids. And I just, I think I got it better. I got this right with hmm. my nine-year-old.
0: Hmm. Do you ever struggle with, with the idea? Cause obviously, I mean, I, I assume that you're going back and forth between your place and mom's place. Do you ever struggle with things she's teaching them that you might disagree with or vice versa? And and how do you navigate that? Like in terms of conversations, like I I would imagine that it's a little bit more difficult when, you know, when the parents are together and living in the home and there, there might be a little less fluidity in terms of the type of things your daughters are learning from her versus what they're learning from you. I mean, have you run into that at all?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, It's a so one, I mean, one thing this gets more into relationships other than parenting is I think people are starting to realize you can create any type of relationship you want to. And so one of the things is when my nine-year-old says, hey, dad, can you stay here for the night? I almost always say yes. And so I'll sleep at the house. Um, and so the, the the boundaries are much more fluid than I think the prior generation, much less two generations before. Um, mm-hmm. We get along. When, when, we when get you say along,
0: you'll sleep at the house, you mean you'll sleep at, at mom's house?
1: That's right. Yeah. Okay, got it. Yeah. So multiple, I mean, whenever, whenever they ask, and I'll often ask them, Hey, do you want me to sleep over? Cause it's no big deal. I mean, what's, I mean, the only reason we have non-permeable boundaries between two houses is because society said that's what happens when people separate, but there's no rule. And I think this is a good lesson about everything in life is what's the norm. And then is that norm working for you? I mean, this was the conversation we had last time. And so we have these much more diffuse boundaries about that. And, um some of the areas we have where we have disagreements we will regularly say this is a place where i want us to be united front or okay let's just make sure that you're respectful to my approach to this and i think if yeah. you can separate it into those two categories then you can navigate this a lot easier well, so what we don't do is have um you know a a battle of MSNBC news versus Fox news in terms of like two approaches that, and you get your job is to choose which one you like. It's more like, listen, we have two perspectives on this. There's probably other perspectives of looking at this. Here's what I think. Here's what, here's what mom thinks. And, um, you know, you know, you can, you there's no right or wrong answer. Um, the thing is that the way that you're doing it now is not the best way. And here's why. And I think this is a so just just take a a concrete example, profanity. Um, As a New Yorker, I'm very comfortable with even my nine year old. She (laughs) just saw her first R-rated movie this week. Um, So my my 15 year old, her first R-rated movie was Deadpool, which is an amazing first R-rated movie. As we were um, a plane was stuck on the tarmac for three and a half hours. And she just asked me, can I watch my first R-rated movie again? My approach is. Yeah, of course. Listen, we're stuck in a horrible situation right here. You know, relatively speaking. I'm like, let's enjoy it and this if you hit something weird while you're watching it, like we'll talk about it. And what a great one. But, um, but you,
0: but you were aware of what she was watching. Like you were aware of what was on the screen. So if there were conversations yep. that needed to come up about something she was seeing, you were able to have those conversations and kind of like foster her introduction to certain elements of of let's say the the um the the, the rougher aspects of society that she might not have been exposed to yet.
1: Right. So and because I've seen the movie multiple times, I knew if there was a sexual innuendo that I didn't want her to hear, I would just pull off her headphones and be like, hey hold on for yeah. 20 seconds and you're back in the
0: movie. Oh, Ryan Reynolds <laughs> never has any
1: sexual innuendo. So I don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> but the beauty was actually watching so much of it go over her head and her laughing at something mm-hmm. that had nothing to do with the dialogue. I mean, it's, again, this is the fun part. Enjoy like parenting should be fun along with the difficult, you know, moral, the moral imperatives you're trying to introduce to your kids. Um, so to so go, so to go back to, Kind of the the complexities of two different perspectives that they're hearing, which is basically any 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 kid that has two parents, you're going to get two perspectives. Is there's something really powerful of having the humility to realize this is not for you to win. The question is what's in the best at best interest of the kid, and for the best interest of the kid, sometimes multiple perspectives is great. So when it comes to profanity, I am of the belief let your kids be exposed to all of the scary, difficult things in life in the safe environment of a caregiver who's going to be able to answer questions and be non-judgmental as opposed to them learning about profanity being the last one of all their kids to learn it, and then it being like a humili- an unnecessary, humili- humiliating enterprise, and they learn the wrong things the wrong ways, and they don't learn which words can be said in front of an adult. Why you wouldn't use this word. So for me, learn all of the profanity that exists and just you can't use them in front of other people outside the household. And so there's no taboo. You take away the taboo and kids don't have the desire to be delinquent with their language outside of the household. And that's what I think right. it doesn't, it does,
0: it doesn't create a, a like a forbidden fruit. You know, it is kind of funny because I grew up in a very strict household. I mean, we even had uh, my mom's interviewed for the book and she talks about this in her chapter. I was chuckling cuz so I was editing it the other day. We had this thing called TV Guardian when I was growing up and it would literally make the movie quiet every time a swear word or a profanity was uttered. And what would happen is me and my brothers became obsessed with reading mouths, figuring out what these people were saying <laughs> that was getting covered up every time it went silent. And then we would go and look up those like it almost made us good at swearing to have that forbidden fruit of, of swearing, but, you know, placed on the threshold every time that we were watching TV. Now, now with my sons, you know, I, I do use a couple of websites. I use one called Common Sense Media and I use another one called yeah. Screen It to, to, to look up movies oh, before yeah. we watch watch them. And it, for me, it's not a no-go if the movie has sex or violence or swearing, but I'll always look at the context of it and also, you know, investigate, you know, is it the hero? Is it glorified? You know, is it something, you know, that that's that's depicting the good person in the movie doing something that we might consider to be a moral failure, or is it more depicting the moral failures of something that, that, the, that the evildoers in the movie would be doing? And in most cases, you know, I'll, I'll be okay with the latter as long as it's not explicit and, and you know, extremely graphic and I can explain it to my sons. It's very similar with swearing, right? Like I've taught them every single swear word, exactly what it means. And the very rare context in which those swear words would be acceptable. Like here's right. where the F word could be used for dramatic emphasis, or here's where the SH word could be used to, to, um, to show an emotion of disgust or something like that. But, you know, don't use these words in this situation, this situation, this situation, be careful who you use them around, et cetera, et cetera. And so, I do agree that, that you, you have to, instead of completely shielding your child from things that they're going to experience at some point when they're outside of the house, it's better for them to experience that when they're actually under your care. I mean, even things like you know, pornography, for example, even though I have protection software, one called Canopy installed on, on my son's iTouches and on their MacBook uh, so that they don't accidentally stumble across something that that might you know that that might shock them or might show them something that that they really aren't ready to experience i also do not completely shield them from aspects of of sex or the opposite sex and and what I mean by that is we're we're very open and transparent in our household about how sex works, you know what happens and and you know I've taken them through all the anatomy books and rather than them googling you know what does a naked woman look like when they're ten years old you know they've they've gone through all that stuff with dad, and so I think it really is important as parents that we take on the responsibility of fostering you know, some, some of the more fringe and risky aspects of the world and exposing our kids to that in the house before they grow up and discover it on their own or, you know, find something, on a, you know, asleep over at their friend's house, you know?
1: Yeah. And, and let me play with that with, um, for the critics who are listening to this conversation right now, which is you you're not doing it also just for your kid to learn it and so that they can kind of kind of apply this to their own knowledge system. It's also psychological armor. So, you know, you're raising boys, I'm raising girls. So for me, I want them to be exposed to pornography because I want them to realize is that there are some boys, this is the, this is the only way that they're learning about their, you know, their bodies and and how they're supposed to relate to women. I'm focusing on heterosexual relationships here because my kids are heterosexual. Um, so in this case, I want them to recognize the cue when there's a when there's a boy that pressures them to do something, which is – and the intent is actually not malevolent. It's just they don't know better. And here is one of the avenues where boys are learning things from. And so if you don't mm-hmm. – if, if boys that don't have a Ben as a dad um, and they don't get to bounce this off somebody, um, I want them to pick up like, whoa, 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 hey, hey, well, this isn't – this is not what romance – or a relationship with me is like. So I've trained my girls to have psychological armor and I've trained them also is to, to, not fall under the role of the social script where there's, you know, boys are the hunters and they're the hunted. I've trained them yeah. of, of great neutrality in terms of, listen, here's, here's what's going to happen. Most likely in terms of the scripts, if, you know, if boys spent more time with women, they're going to be treated like as heroic creatures. Um, for girls who are in high school, they're going to be treated kind of have the kind of the, you know the kind of the, the you know kind of this, this kind of slutty kind of um stereotypes going to be applied to them. Your job is kind of basically not to but be in the camp of accepting what they're going to say about you or apply it to everybody else. Like be like a heroine waiting for every every other girl of just hanging with the opposite sex. Fifty percent of the people you associate with is the other sex. Uh, this doesn't mean that you are doing anything with them. It means that you gravitate towards that energy, those personalities that happen there. Some train them to be very, very agenetic in their lives and not allow any, no matter how modern society is, we still have these incredibly divergent acceptable modes of behavior romantically for boys and girls. And the only way that you could have your kid transcend them is for them serendipitously, they figure it out themselves, which is unlikely or, or more probabilistically is you work with them here are the likely scripts here's what you can do with them and here's why they're relatively they're nonsense but there's just not the ten Commandments that Moses is bringing down on you know on rock in terms of these are laws these are just beliefs that people have held and pushed down for you know a few hundred years that's all they are and you get to challenge them anytime that you want to and I will always defend you if you have good benevolent intent as you're doing it. And this is how I approach their lives. And because of that, um, I get all the intel that I want from my kids. They tell me everything about their lives because I don't judge them. And as yeah. much as, much as humanly possible. And the, part of the reason for that is I really want them to kind of figure themselves out on their own, like who they are as distinct from me and their mom. And the other one is, is that I want is I want more intel. So the only way you get access to intel is can you be open and receptive to hearing something that you don't want to hear. So when your kid tells you they tried pot and when your kid tells you they drank a beer before their time, if you slam down too hard on them, great, you punish them. And now you lost access to information. So for the future, you know, micro delinquency that they engage in.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's so interesting hearing you talk about raising girls, and especially you know when it comes to relating to boys. And we get we got on this this chat when we were we were bringing up uh, pornography, for example. Just you know, from my perspective, on my end, you know, I'm educating my boys about it from the standpoint of how do you think you're going to interact with women when you're training your mind to objectify them in that matter, or how do you think you're going to interact with this or that girl, if you're fantasizing about her, you know, or masturbating about her or something like that. And then you're, you know, you're hanging out with her at a birthday party. It's going to totally change the way that you interact with her and what you think about all of a sudden she's not a sacred human being. She's, or a friend, you know, she's somebody who you're objectifying sexually is very interesting to, to hear the difference between, you know, raising, raising boys and and fostering their thought
1: patterns versus raising girls. Yeah. And and there's, I mean, I love that what we're modeling here because these are not like, these are not warring factions. These are, I mean, th- this is the origin of the the greatest source of well being in people's lives, which is healthy, romantic relationships and friendships. And if you, if you, if you're not willing, I mean, just think about how many fathers that you've met that I've met over the years, which is, well, I'm going to come out. That's why I work out. I'm going to come out with my guns. I'm going to intimidate these kids that come to the house. Nobody's going to touch my daughters whatsoever. Just think about what the attitude, the, the idea of you having an authoritarian presence in your kids' lives doesn't stop their hormones and their you know, their you know, bioengineering to enter ro- the romantic world. All it means is you lose access now and, and basically and you've stunted the growth of your kids to figure out what works and what doesn't. And it's complicated. And, you know, people, you know, I'm 48 and I haven't figured it out yet. So how do you expect your, you know, your 15, 16, 17, 18-year-old to figure this out if you have this machismo approach that's actually overriding your kids' motivations, intentions, attitudes, and personality traits?
0: Yeah. It's, it's tough. It's tough, but you know, ho- hopefully this conversations to help with some people out with that. And you know, one, one thing that, that comes to mind, so it's so, so a little bit of a shift from the discussion that we're having right now, but I got to ask it cause you're a dad with twins. I know it's even more difficult, but in terms of like the one-on-one time, have you decoded that? Like do you, do you have protocols for, for really carving out quality one-on-one time with your girls?
1: Yeah. And the reason that I'm able to figure this out is cause I'm a twin also. So I'm a twin with twins and When my parents got divorced um, and my dad left us when we were two, um, I got a letter when I was about 17 years old. One of my cousins gave me a letter of like, listen, you've never seen your dad's side of the story. So just, just as some background information, my mom passed away when I was 12, I was raised by my grandmother. So I really had no male, and my grandfather died a year before my mom. So I had no father figure. My grandfather figure also kind of so I had no male figure in my teens, adolescent years, um, or later. And um, so when I was when I was about twenty two, around then I got some letters from my father, where my cousin said, "Listen, you've never known his side of the story." And this letter was really tragic. It was it was a, an apology. It was an apology that he never differentiated between my twin brother and myself and he never spent sufficient time with us individually. And part of it was part of part of the divorce was he only got us for the weekend. And because of that, he just, it was so little time that he he couldn't figure out how to separate time with my brother and myself. That Mm -hmm. letter long before I had kids had a profound impact on me of, I don't want to reconcile with my father but I wanna make sure that if I have kids, I spend sufficient time one-on-one. So one thing that I do is I, tr- you know, part of my work is, is doing public speaking around the world is I'll take my kids separately with me. And so um, Ravenna came with me to Japan and um, I gave a talk out there and we climbed, we climbed Mount Fuji. Um, we explored, you know, Japan beforehand of in terms of learning some of the language to make sure that we can have, start some conversations we hired a guide together. We went to temples together. We did we did everything together. We woke up at five thirty in the morning and kind of took. The rule was um, no cabs unless necessary when we travel. So all mass transportation. And so she got to see all of that cultural that yeah culture shock and cultural anxiety of not knowing what to say, not not sure where we are, not knowing what to do, and experience that with me. And as you're as you're pointing out or alluding to that one-on-one experience is is like the most profound moment in my relationship with Raven and I and I've I've been meaning to write an article about about that trip to Mount Fuji because um you know if I died today like that would be that two-week period is what created our relationship today like it's 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 cemented for both of us and then for and then so you know for Chloe and for and for Violet you know the idea is like traveling with them individually you learn so much about a person. Gets, there's so much grumpiness. There's so much novelty. Um, there's so much discovering of how people respond to stress and and potential opportunities that you don't get that in your domesticated life. And I strongly encourage not just one-on-one time with my kids, but literal adventures with one-on-one with my kids.
0: Yeah. I almost got chills when you were talking about that letter because that's a little tiny piece of angst for me, always questioning gosh, are my kids going to grow up and wish, you know, their names are River and Taryn, you know, is River going to grow up and wish he'd have more one-on-one time with that? Or is Taryn going to grow up and wish like he has some time away from his brother River to be able to express himself in a different way. And, you know, I, I I do carve out time, you know, we do, we go on -on one-on-one dates every month. I go on walks with them. We do eye gazing at night, you know, one-on-one solo once a week where it's like five minutes of playing a song, hands on each other's hearts, looking deep into each other's eyes, just not saying anything or, you know, saying very trite or, 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 or or um you know, just, just like short things like I love you or you mean so much to me. And at the same time, though, I, I'm constantly asking myself, gosh, I do kind of like you're talking about, Todd, like a one on one vacation with one of them or, you know, it just it just makes me think about the importance of that all the more. So, so thanks. Oh, for my God.
1: That. Friends, you friends. I mean, what you do with your boys, I've, I've never met anyone remotely who does that with their kids. I mean, that's that's amazing. Um, I can't say that having a dog is also a nice thing um, because going for walks and, and intentionally choosing one kid to come with you. And there's so many opportunities to swap out. And this is a lesson from being a clinical psychologist um, is particularly with boys, but also just with teenagers in general is talking side by side. It's amazing how unfiltered the conversation comes when you don't have the eye gazing and you can, you have the freedom to kind of let, your, let your, your body go elsewhere as you're talking. I just noticed that in the car, shooting hoops, walking the dog, this is when real intimate details of their lives comes out about, um, you know, feelings of, am I, you know, was I depressed as I was experiencing this despair here? The rejections, the doubts, um, and also the triumphs of in terms of like the things, there are things that your kids want to tell you that they won't tell anyone else because it seems so stupid because in terms of them, you know, them figuring out how to do, you know, an ollie on a skateboard, that's a weird thing to tell your your teenage friends. But your dad and your mom and your primary caregivers, your grandparents, like they want to hear everything. And so your job is to really be receptive and curious and exploratory for not just the, the bad stuff, but for like the wins and the accomplishments and the achievements and really breaking it down into molecular parts. Like... Tomorrow night is going to be um, my youngest nine year old. She's going to be in a volleyball tournament. And when we go after her practices, which I try to go to every single one because she wants me there, not because I'm a helicopter parent. I would rather not be there because I'd like to give her the independence, but it's whatever she mm-hmm. wants. And I can point out of hey listen you know i noticed that like you're getting a lot more you're you're doing a lot, a lot better job of like standing on your toes and your lateral movement side to side my god you're getting so much closer to the ball so much often. that molecular detail that win it's not that she got the winning point in the game or that she had 30 bumps i'm noticing like her physical movement of her you know of her calf muscles and her toes is different and I, and i say this because to me, it's this it's this attention to detail, which is a marker to them that I care about their well-being because I do care about their well-being. And it's not enough to say nice job getting an A in science. It's not enough saying nice job. You're now a brown belt in Taekwondo, like the very small details trains your chi- your children. This is I, I strongly believe and it trains them that you, you, there are milestones that are unmarked by society because there aren't words to capture it. And your job is to find the words to find all the mile markers on their mission in every domain of their life. That's interesting or that they care about.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Well, you know, I've, I've got a, a few kind of fun and final questions for you, Todd. These are going These are going to be interesting to hear your feedback on. So if, if your child or your children could inscribe anything on your gravestone after you've passed, you know, it, it could be a big gravestone if you want to, that'd be a super, super small one. <laughs> what, 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 what do you wish and hope that they would write? Like what, what do you want them to most remember about you or remember you for?
1: I think the unique one is that you taught me how to be an independent, critical thinker in the world that can create my own path through life. Mm
0: independent creative thinker in the world I can create my own path in life.
1: I, like I really, that. I really, I really spend a lot of time. I mean, you know, I mean, I wrote a whole book on this. I really spent a lot of time of them. You have to find your own niche and yeah. really allow it to deviate from anyone else's approach to living their lives. I mean, the, it's like the conversation we had before about, you know, the way that you can have your marriage. I have a friend of mine who, you know, who just decided that like, you know, it's they might have a better relationship if they live in separate apartments. They're married. But they actually realized that spent living together five days a week, seven days a week wasn't working. And now they're happier. And many people look on that and say, oh, there must be something wrong with the relationship. It's like, it's no, this is their personality, their values. This is what works. And if it's not infringing on anyone else's well-being, we should just look and say, cool, thanks for pointing out another way. And I want yeah. my girls to actually have that approach to everything that they do.
0: Yeah, yeah, I get it. I don't like it. All right. So what do you what do you think they're going to say is their fondest memory of being raised by you, something that you do on a regular basis for them, for example, or something they wake up to or something you do at night, something that they'll think back specifically, like a specific memory that you think will really come to mind for them?
1: Well, I'll do one for each kid. I mean, Raven okay. is definitely going to be a Mount Fuji. I mean, one of the things about climbing Mount Fuji is we spent overnight in, they have different levels as you climb the mountains, lodges. And we stayed at a lodge and she was sick. And I have this cute picture of, she kind of got like the cold or the flu and her, she's laying on her stomach and her, and her palm is up backwards. She's holding a wad of tissues. And I was like, God, this girl did not complain once climbing this whole mountain. And She's got some illness, and she's I think she was nine when she climbed Mount Fuji with me in there. and i and I took her the, and when we got to the top of that mountain, we got there, you know, we left with the with the the twenty something crew at four thirty in the morning so they could be there with the sunrise and holding her because it was it's so cold on top of Mount Fuji, and we did not dress appropriately, holding her drinking hot chocolate on the, on the top of Mount Fuji, and saying like that like literally, we are on the top of the world in a foreign country that where we can't speak the language wow. is that's the moment for for me and Raven. I mean, and I have pictures yeah. of it, of like being above the clouds, like the, the films. And it's just it's, you know, I mean, it just it excites yeah. me just to even talk about it. I'm, oh, my I'm, gosh!
0: Like, like, like speaking of, of common threads throughout this book, some of the most amazing parents they have gone on some kind of adventure with their child that elicited even a little bit of discomfort, something you might even consider to be like a a mild rite of passage, you know, for a child, but usually it's like climbing a mountain, taking them on their first fishing expedition or hunting expedition, going and doing something hard, some kind of hike or tour or climb. And, and, uh, it's something that pops up over and over again, you know, getting outside the norm of their, you know, extracurriculars and baseball and football and volleyball games is like going off and doing something epic. So I get it. And, uh, I'm, I'm sure that she'll remember you for that. So what about the other two?
1: Yeah, I love, I love this. I love the rite of passage. It's such an antiquated term that should come back into the modern day life as we have, you know, less religiosity and less tight knit communities. So thank you for bringing that term back in. Um, so Chloe used to be, she is the greatest Cassian athlete ever. And so when she played soccer, um, you know, we would travel, you know, three, five hours um, to get to to some of her games. And there was there was one game in the rain. um, They made the finals of uh, of a soccer tournament and then um, she scored this goal and then she came right over the sidelines to give me a hug. I mean, what I love is that she was young and she's never been trained. That kind of stoic approach of like, hey, when you score act like you've been there before. I've never believed in that. I believed in like, listen, savor the moment. Like, don't be a prick and jump and point at the other team. But if you're excited, why would you suppress the, the emotions in that moment? I mean, it's just, it's, I mean, these are, this is what you, this is, this is what sports, this is what right of passes are about. And just on the sideline, me hugging her and just kind of like, and, ex, and I ex, explicated exactly how she got from midfield to score that goal in detail, like that moment. Of like this, this like real pinnacle of like winning, winning the game for her team. Um, that's me and Chloe. Like that was just like, wow. like I was. It was her moment, and I just made sure that it got stuck in her brain, dog-eared, underlined, italicized by like really describing exactly what she actually did because it's so natural for her that she probably didn't even notice. Wow. Wow. Um, and for for Violet, God, there's so many freaking. I mean. Honestly, like nobody makes me laugh as much as Violet. I mean, I mean, I'll just, I think what she will remember is like just yesterday, last night, we we, uh, we went to one of these like modern Chuck E. Cheese's that aren't as creepy and they don't have vermin, uh, people <laughs> dressed up as vermin chasing you around. And uh, we won these balls, these big, huge, like uh, rubber balls and a claw machine. And just even just last night, um, we were going to play ping pong against each other. And she's like, hey, do you want to like uh, like I invented this new game, and we were basically trying to try to keep the ball up as much as humanly possible. And every time you do more than five, you have to take a step back. And we were smashing each other in the face and like hitting each other like in the privates, and then just trying you know trying to gas each other out like um, you know by eating as much black beans as possible as we were down there as just a as a strategy. And we would just laugh so much when we kind of design these games. that I think that she's going to remember these moments of like, we we constantly are creating new rules for every single thing that we do together. And that's, I hope she'll remember them because I write this down in my journal of delights every day of it's, uh, you know, they're like the, again, it's, it's the idea of being a diversion thinker of you have rules for games, but we're not trying to be in the junior Olympics here. We're just trying to have fun and trying to also try and like figure out a way to kind of make it, um, a competitive approach to doing things and why would you not fuss with the rules and add all all sorts of idiosyncratic approaches and we do this and damn do we laugh man it's like such such a great salve to the tragedy of the human existence
0: yeah yeah well you're an inspirational father i mean it just you know the, the the information that you're sharing with me definitely convinces me that that you care a lot about your daughters which is which is just, yeah, it's it's inspirational. I mean, it's going to be really cool to be able to feature you within the book. You know, I take a lot of these interviews and I I turn, it. you know, I I take the best of the best and I I write out little articles and essays and chapters. And so it's going to be cool to take some of the the snippets from this interview and, and weave it all in. But there is one more question, Todd, and that is what message, what one message for parents would you put onto a billboard?
1: The key to being a good parent is recognizing that flexibility is more important than positivity. And I know there's a lot of messages about being empathetic, as, and rightfully so, and compassionate, and positive. Um, but I think the most important thing is being flexible. And that's that sometimes what kids want is novelty, and some kids, what kids want is structure. But they're not going to tell you. You know, we, you know, we haven't talked about screens, thankfully, because that comes up in almost too many of my conversations. <laughs> Um, but you know, kids, they won't tell you they want structured time, um, but they do want like limits and constraints and other times they need absolute freedom. And your job is not to be about positivity. Your job is to be agile enough to, to kind of, to know your kid well enough and also keep updating your beliefs about your kids as you learn, as they learn and change over the course of time, be flexible enough to realize, Oh, what they need here is for me to step back away and not ask any questions. What they need here is for me to elaborate on their stories and help them do that by asking a ton of questions. And what they need here right now is someone that's going to support them because um, they really like this kid, even though I think they're a bad seed that they're potentially going to be dating right now, because now's not the time to point out all the flaws of this kid. Now is like a kid who's really proud that they landed like a really cool catch in their eyes. And later, maybe you might kind of point out those things. And so flexibility trumps positivity.
0: Flexibility trumps positivity. I love it. And related to the screen time issue, don't worry that it didn't come up. Sometimes I think it's best to, to not make it as big a deal as many other people make it. Like, for example, like my, my sons have a phone. We didn't make a big deal of it at all. They didn't even know they were getting one. We just get, got them a phone and put it in their room and said, hey, if you ever need a phone, here you go, you can call us or you know, do whatever you need with it. And we don't even talk about screens. We don't set screen time rules. They're probably on a screen for like 15 minutes a day. We just make the rest of life so much more fun as far as like yeah. what we put outside and the toys and games and books and family adventures that, and, and mom and I also, when there's downtime, we don't look at a screen. We're playing musical instruments and hanging out and, you know, and, and hitting the jasmine ball or playing tennis or, you know, playing bocce <laughs> ball or cornhole outside. So it's, it, so we, our sons have just grown up like, like seeing the functional utility of a screen and that's about it. It's like, oh, we use this for business and to make a phone call and that's it. And so, yeah, it is interesting. I think sometimes when you make screens a big deal, kids make screens a big deal. When you're just like, oh, yeah, here's a phone, whatever. Then, then the kids don't even think about it being this thing that's so, so special that they've waited for so long to get, you know?
1: Oh, my God. I got to tell you, man, I wish I was raised by you guys, man. This, I mean, th- honestly, this has been such a nice um, two-sided conversation. I mean, listening to, mm-hmm. listening to what you do, is uh, it is so antithetical to the people in my suburgatory world where I live, it's just like, man, it is cool to know you, man.
0: Oh, well, well, thanks. I mean, and, and, uh, and honestly, I've gotten to know you quite a bit over this, over this two peat series. So I am just, I'm super stoked to know you, even though we've never actually hung out and you know, next time I'm in New York or next time you're on the West coast, we'll have to do it. Uh, Sorry. but in the meantime, uh, for, for folks who are listening, it's Ben Greenfield, slash impactful kids. So if you go to bengreenfieldlife.com slash impactfulkids, I'll, I'll link to the first interview I did with Todd about his book and then also all the show notes for this interview. And you can leave your own questions and comments and feedback. I love to read them, and uh, I sometimes even shoot them over to the guest too, so Todd might see them too. But anyways, Todd, thank you so much for coming on the show, man.
1: Yeah, I love talking to you. This is even better than the last one.
0: <laughs> Thanks, man. All right, folks, I'm Ben Greenfield with Todd Cashton signing out from bengreenfieldlife.com. Have an amazing week. More than ever these days, people like you and me need a fresh, entertaining, well-informed, and often outside-the-box approach to discovering the health and happiness and hope that we all crave. So I hope I've been able to do that for you on this episode today. And if you liked it, or if you love what I'm up to, then please leave me a review on your preferred podcast listening channel, wherever that might be, and just find the Ben Greenfield Life episode. Say something nice. Thanks so much. It means a lot.